0: Welcome back to the OPEX podcast where fitness is explained. I am your host, Robbie Burke, and I'm joined on today's show once again by OPEX CEO, Jim Crow. On this episode, Jim and I discuss building a fitness business to become an asset versus a liability, the importance of being authentic when projecting your message to the marketplace, and the importance of storytelling in fitness. Guys, this was a fantastic conversation with Jim. I know you're going to love it. Stay with us. Hey, Jim. As always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Thanks so much for making time. Since we last spoke, what has been new in the world of Jim Crow and OPEX? Uh,
1: Since you and I spoke, uh, I would have gone to Hong Kong, I think. Mm so that I'm back from that. That's cool. My wife comes home in uh, something, I think 10 days. So I'm looking forward to that. She's been uh, in DC and Hong Kong for a number of months. Um, and really what, what I'm trying to work on mainly is really just structuring kind of the, the next iteration and the next uh, ascent for OPEX. Um, so, you know, that looks like some plays within remote coaching, some plays within the gyms that looks like a couple of partnerships. And, and obviously I'm being a little bit coy here until these things are finished and we can uh, publish them. Um, but there's some cool stuff that's coming on the horizon and, uh, in the different business lines. And so I'm, I'm having a lot of fun working on that. We've got a couple of new, new faces in OPEX. And so I'm really enjoying, uh, working with them and getting everybody, uh, getting everybody aligned.
0: Savage sounds like you're gonna have your playful, but knowing you, you like to stay busy.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't. I don't think I'll stop being busy just on my own accord. <laughs> it,
0: it was so funny because on that Mind Muscle Project podcast that I spoke before we came on, uh, you were talking about like meditation, and like you were, you were saying you were asking someone about like, should I meditate? And they are like, you? No, no, yeah. no, no, no. no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I asked a uh, Dr. Drobot. You know, he's our uh, one of our docs. They go, yeah, yeah think about this and he's like for you man no you don't you don't want to meditate
0: (laughs) yeah exactly listen different strokes for different folks so Jim you came to me with the topic well I asked and and you came with a great topic and I just have making sure that I I say the exact title that you wanted so basically it was building an asset versus liability coaching business so it sounds like a big topic um so take it away sir yeah
1: the the reason I thought this was interesting is you know, where's my lane in OPEX? It's it's certainly the business lane as it relates to fitness. And and where my job is important is to help coaches understand how they can build careers, you know? So what's the OPEX career? Well, the OPEX career is you come in, you get educated through CCP, you learn how to coach, you learn the basics of business, you open up an OPEX gym, and then you have a life cycle forever. You know, that's that's our play. But there's a myriad of different plays that coaches can make in fitness. And I think it's worth the investigation and the conversation around, well, what's the outcome that a coach or a gym owner would want in their career? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not trying to sell OPEX. I'm just trying to sell the idea that I don't think enough gym owners or, or coaches in fitness are thinking about the end game of what they're doing when they open up a gym. And it's not wrong, right? But the idea is that you have to think about what you're trying to build because what it ultimately boils down to is what we're seeing right now in the industry is that there's a lot of gyms that are basically just shutting down. And on the surface, okay, maybe that doesn't seem destructive, but if they could have gone back and asked themselves, is this $50,000, and I'm just taking a number out of the sky, is this $50,000 investment? going to actually help me in five or seven or 10 years? And the trouble is, is that the answer many times, if you're just shutting down a business, the answer is no. You know, so where I think it's important for us to have a discussion, and I'm not gonna try to get into the nitty gritty of finance, right, but is, what is the end result that you want if you invest your time and money into owning a fitness business? Mm You know, so the idea of asset versus a liability, you know, part of that is a hook, right? Like, I want people to be interested in, oh, that's like I've heard of an asset and a liability. But really, the conversation comes down to, are you building something that will ultimately pay off in the end? And so I think our conversation can revolve around kind of two different ideas. And I, I'm boiling this so simply, Robbie, so don't think that this is the, the depths that we could go. But yeah, you have to look at it from a cash flow standpoint. And you have to look at it from an asset standpoint. And what I mean by that for coaches who are listening is from a cash flow standpoint, you need to have a, a business that makes you money. And I mean, makes you money consistently. And we as coaches are not generally, and this is, I don't know, one in a thousand, one in a million, maybe, I don't know. But most coaches are building gyms to create cash flow month in and month out, you know, because they wanna make it their job. And that's a beautiful thing but you have to set up a business that allows you to create consistent cash flow. Mm -hmm. Now on the flip side of that, the question is, is how much do those cash flows cost you? I'm getting fired up and I'm moving the desk. Sorry. I look like I'm in an earthquake.
0: Good. It adds
1: to the (laughs) intention. You know, so on the flip side, if if you're saying, well, what do those cash flows cost me? That is (laughs) how much did I invest in order to make those cash flows? So if I invest, let's just make the math easy. If I invest $1,000 in my gym and year one, I make a net profit of $1,000, I've returned 100% on my investment. Now, why does that matter, right? Because you're always trying to understand what your return on that investment looks like as compared to what you could have used that $1,000 for. Okay, so if I would have used $1,000 and put it into a lottery ticket, right, my probabilistic return is zero, right? Like, I'm, I'm probably not going to make anything, or I'll make, you know, a dollar on the $1,000 that I spent, whatever the math is, right? That's a terrible return, okay? But if I invest it into an asset, now the idea is, is that that asset should return me cash flow over the life of the asset. So it comes down to how much are you spending up front to create the cash flow on the backside and then what is left when you decide to either sell the asset or shut it down. So let's go back to our initial example of $50,000 to open a gym and I would say that that's average now. Like some are much more, some are a little bit less but just to buy equipment, man, is what generally... At least 25 in most situations. So if I spend $50,000 to open up my gym, let's say that I run it for five years. Um, and let's say that from a cash flow standpoint, meaning profit to the business, mm. I make $10,000 a year. Okay, so over the five years, I've made back my $50,000. Now, the question becomes though for most coaches, if you wouldn't have spent the $50,000 and if you wouldn't have owned that gym, could you have made a lot more money working for somebody else and invested the $50,000 into the stock market or into some other company or whatever? That's where it gets really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because now, granted, I, there's so many different ways that you can do accounting to either understand, you know, it's like, well, me as a coach and an owner. Maybe I'm paying myself $100,000 a year in my business. If the business makes $10,000, me as the owner have made $110,000. You know, so there's a lot of different angles that can be played here. But I'm saying that the coach is not generally looking at any of the angles. They're opening the gym because it's a passion project and they want to help people, Mm -hmm. which is extremely noble. And that's what we want to support, right? That's what we're here to help, you know, help drive them and be able to help them succeed. But if somebody is going to open a gym, they have to look at what their opportunity cost is. And just a reminder to coaches on opportunity cost, what could you have spent your time and money on elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Because that is something that, you know, what we want for coaches is to wake up 10 years down the road and have had an incredibly fulfilling decade of coaching helped thousands of people and still be farther along in their career than they were on day one. And what we're seeing right now on, in the industry is that coaches are not any farther in their career. They worked for a few years as a coach. Maybe they enjoyed it. Maybe they didn't. And then they're starting a different career from step zero. And that's what we want to help them change.
0: And a follow-up question I do have for that is how, and I know you you have addressed this um, in other podcasts and probably have touched on this in some of our discussions, but h- how do coaches get better at this? Like, how do they become more aware of appreciating that? And I'm running the business here, and just before I do let you answer this, and I will keep this short, is uh, I know Alan Cosgrove, and I think he may get some Tom Plummer, they often talk about the, the exit strategy. Like, do you see yourself in a position where, like, this business is so profitable that you could, like, sell it or walk away from it and, like, be able to take the, the assets that business was to to live like your life however you want outside of that, like, essentially, will it give you life autonomy, your exit strategy? So, what are your what are your thoughts on that, uh,
1: Robbie? I think number one, it's a brilliant insight. So the idea that's exactly what we're trying to help a, an owner create is when I'm saying asset, that's the simple way of saying, how do I have something I can sell in five or 10 years? Yeah. And let me, let me preface this by saying, I'm having a lot of conversations with gym owners right now that are trying to get something for their gym just so that they don't have to pay the rent anymore. Mm-hmm. Meaning they're trying to shut down the gym, but they still have rent to pay because they've signed a lease agreement, which is binding them as an individual to the lease and they're not making money but it would actually cost them more to shut down the gym that's a version of a death spiral for an owner so what they're doing is they're selling you know they're selling their gym for you know $10,000 which in reality they have $50,000 worth of equipment they're selling it for $10,000 because they they can't pay the lease anymore mm. and that's a very very traumatizing conversation for a gym owner to have because let's not even talk about the money for a second talk about you know many coaches are masculine beings right and failing is extremely difficult for a gym owner to face so the unfortunate side effect of that is that they stay in the business for far too long and they're just losing money and I know that, you know, coaches don't want to talk about the importance of making money. They just want to talk about being great coaches. But I think one of the, the tenets of being a great coach is the ability to make money. Because that means that you're moving in the right direction. So to go back to your point, which was such a good one, when you're thinking about creating an asset or an exit strategy for your facility, you have to create an entity that exists without you there. hmm so where most gym owners get themselves in trouble is you know, if I'm an investor, the, all I'm looking at is, okay, well, what's this business going to make me in cash if you're gone? And this is where most gyms just get slaughtered because they may make, I don't know, a very common number I hear is I make $3,000 a month, you know, as a coach, right? And I'm the gym owner and the coach. I make $3,000 a month, you know, coaching, And maybe the gym makes $1,000. And I've heard plenty of worse situations, unfortunately. So that's a net of $4,000 a month that they are counting as profit because they're walking away with $4,000. Me as the investor, I'm saying, okay, well, how much is it going to cost me to put a manager into that facility and a coach into that facility in order to run it? Because me as the investor, I do not want to coach. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden a manager and a head coach, I don't know, maybe that costs five or $6,000 a month. I I don't, I don't know. It's whatever you can get a quality manager for. So instantaneously that $1,000 of profit or that $3,000 to the coach, you know, the coach owner and the $1,000 is completely vanished. So there is no profit in that business. So, if I'm looking at it from an investor, now the only thing that I'm starting to look at, there's kind of two pieces. One is, what do I think the future looks like if I come in and take over that facility or that business? And two, what could I possibly get for the assets minus the liabilities, meaning what's the equipment worth minus what are the lease and everything else that I'm going to have to pay down? So, you know, when these guys are talking about exit strategy, you have to create something that grows if you walk away and that's where most facilities have completely missed the mark. So, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, that's perfect. Just uh, on the back end of that then is why do you think the majority, and I know we're generalizing, but I mean, I don't think we need to to run like a a massive like meta analysis of a study to get this answer. But Why do you think the majority of coaches are just so illiterate when it comes to business?
1: Uh, Two reasons. One, they want to remain passionate about coaching. Mm. You know, they are, I guess I should say they are passionate about coaching. They want to help people. They want to investigate things like energy systems and strength, et cetera. That fascinates them. They want to listen to fitness podcasts, et cetera. Um, And the other one is, is that they've never been taught.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, so you, you combine the fact that many coaches are not interested in business and they've never been taught anything. I mean, that's just recipe for disaster over time. Now, something that I find fascinating is if we go to the micro gym model, much of the growth initially, and this is my opinion, right? I don't have the meta-analysis to support it, but a lot of the growth that came out of, you know, places like CrossFit initially, people had an extremely low cost structure. You know, they, they were working out in their garage, or they had old cheap equipment, like, but from, from a business standpoint, the lower you can have your cost structure, the more profit margin you can make, yep. Yep. you know? So it was, it was just organically brilliant, right? So one of the things that we talk to all of our new gyms coming in is we try to get their cost structure effectively built out. And then we work with them to understand what are you going to be sending out in cash every month? When are you going to break even? And these are newer gyms, right? Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to grow profit over time? because The more you're able to grow profit and the more structure you can put around the business, i.e. client contracts, all those different things in place, that creates something that an investor would come in and say, wow, I can buy this from you and it's going to run without you and I can continue to make cash flow, you know, maybe perpetually. That's an asset. But, you know, these coaches, that's not what they want to, well, not everybody, obviously, but that's not what many coaches want to do. I respect that completely, but they're going to get slaughtered by, um, you know, smart franchises, smart licensing programs, because those coaches are going to be taught how to beat the competition.
0: I, I think I m- may know what you might say to this question, but I just want to ask anyway, because I, I think you just you, you may come up with some interesting um, answers. Is, is there like any particular principles from fitness that are applicable to business?
1: Oh yeah, man. Great question. Um, One of the things that I teach in our CCP business course is this notion of strategy, execution, measurement, and refinement. I think that from a business and a coaching standpoint is gold. um, Because essentially what you have to look at is if I'm building a strategy, whether that's for a client or a business, I have to have the consultation, right? I have to have the assessment and the consultation to understand mentally, physically, emotionally, like why am I doing what I'm doing? Where do I want to go? And you have to set the the big picture pathway on what you want to accomplish. So once you have the strategy, then you have to execute. That looks like the the client or the business actually implementing training or business practices or structure or process, you name it. Hmm. And then from the results of what's going on, you measure what's working and what's not. Yeah. You refine what's not working and make it better. You tweak little things here and there, whether it's in the program or the business strategy, et cetera. And then you refine the whole damn thing and you start again.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, so just from an overarching standpoint, and I think that there's many correlates here, but I think that from an overarching standpoint, if you can put that continuum into play, strategy, execution, measurement, refinement, you will win much more consistently, whether you're a coach or a business owner
0: yeah I think that the measurement aspect is so important because like as James says with assessment that's truth Um, and just just even before so again you spoke with strategies execution measurement and refinement would you even say that before strategies Tony Robbins talks about the stories we tell ourselves and I suppose that's where you know Sharon comes in with our consultation piece and you know understanding human behavior would you say like that that's a huge underlying factor of why many coaches as well struggle with business because you know, I think a lot of us have subconscious beliefs that you know making money is you know is bad, or you know they they just may have some sort of self-limiting belief that maybe stops them from wanting to know more of the business end of things. So, like you know, this idea of Tony Robbins would say strategies are important, but if you don't sort out that story first, we have an issue.
1: Yeah, the the way that I look at it, I'm sort of placing the story in all of those components, right? Because the story should be consistent as you continue to build, whether it's a client or a business. So I think it goes across the whole continuum. And I think that Sharon would certainly agree that you have to maintain the authenticity of the story to continue to progress something, whether it's a business or, or a client. Um, the, the way that we kind of lay out the entire structure of the business course is we have a five M's model, and the first M is meaning. You know, so if you think about the meaning of why you're doing what you're doing, that's a beautiful place for the story to be derived, right? Because you have a history, you have an awareness of why you're coaching or what you want from coaching, what Mm. clients you want to work with, right? That has to be one of the first components just in the entire structure of your business. Um, When you get down to the second M, you know, and we're saying the second M is market or marketing or all that. That's how you start thinking about how you're going to connect your story to everybody. That's going to be in your ecosystem.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, so that has to be part of, uh, excuse me, the story has to be part of how you're going out to the market and discussing anything that you do. The third M is model. Now you have to relate the story to the type of business that you're running. You know, am I running group training, personal training, individual design? Like what am I actually doing? If my story is, you know 180 degrees different from that it just it starts to make sense right and what the market's going to do is they're going to poke holes in your story because mm-hmm. they want a story that connects to them like they don't care like they don't care what our story is Robbie they care about if our story connects to them yeah and particularly if i go to our market opex right the coaches that we connect to are growers they want to get better they want to ex- investigate they want to experience fitness right You know, if OPEX equals optimum experience, they want to experience how fitness can benefit them in and out of the gym. Yes. So we have to connect that story to each and every coach because when they build their gyms, they're going to do the same thing with their clients. Mm -hmm. And that's the consistency that goes across. You go down to the fourth M, that's management. And now all of a sudden, the story has to play out in how you manage your gym. If you're opposite of the way that you like, let's say that you talk about butterflies and rainbows and how everybody's equal and all this bullshit, right? And then you hammer your employees with no respect and whatever. They're going to be like, fuck you, dude. Like, I'm not going to stay here because it's not just that you're a prick. If your story was that you were a prick, your employees would probably stay. Because they knew what they were getting into. It's that not being authentic to what you're saying, your story is. Mm. And that lack of trust is what just blows the whole thing up. And then to go back to the first part of our conversation, the fifth M is money. Your story has to connect to how you're making money.
2: Yeah.
1: If you talk about that money is important, which by the way, I think coaches should, because that builds value. Like, let's just go to a high-end brand. I, I was watching golf for five minutes this weekend and Rolex was on, right? Like Rolex is a premium brand. They're going to sell you a $10,000 watch. You think they give a shit about how much money you think they're making? No, because it's a premium brand and they're selling to an audience that wants premium.
2: Yeah. They
1: want their coach or their gym to look nice, feel nice. You know, they want it to be premium. They understand that it costs money to do that. If you provide enough value and if the story connects to that, you should make more money. Man, so I mean, the story has to play throughout the whole conversation.
0: Yeah, man, that's gold. And you've just taken a topic for a whole other podcast. I was going to do a whole podcast in the Five items, but we can still do it. We, we <laughs> well, can we could do that too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just before we get into storytelling and fitness, which is our, our second and last topic that we're going to touch on. Um it's it's really uh, I I really resonate with about being authentic. You know, even you kind of say even if like the manager is a prick, but like that's his story and people know that because uh, th- I actually have a very good friend of mine. Now, he's actually he's not a prick, but he's he's very, you know, he's a very sort of um, outspoken, you know, very uh, extroverted, loud, you know, as uh, that's his personality. But he sells that on, on the front end of his business. Like he's like, this is who I am. This is what we're about. And, like, he's got a thriving business at the moment, whereas, you know, if he tried to hide that and be someone else, it just wouldn't work. Because you do see a lot of people where a lot of people say, I don't, I don't know if I really like that guy or whatever. But he attracts the people that he wants in his gym. That's why he's successful. So he's kind of like, listen, this is what I am. If it's not for you and you don't like it, there's that facility. If it is word of silly for you. So it's just so funny, because I've heard a lot of people say this about this friend of mine that, you know, he's very outspoken, he's very this is like, yeah, but that's he tracks those people and like he's a yeah. type of business. And then like anyone who actually does know him knows that he's like an extremely nice human being. But it's just yeah. that that's him being authentic. So it just goes to the fact again, there's no right or wrong with what you're putting out there as long as it's, it's authentic, like very important.
1: Well, I mean it's so interesting because there there's definitely two sides of a story, right, where you can try and tell the market something or teach the market something about you, but the market will ultimately decide on who you are. Mm. So um, one of the, I, I really enjoyed this documentary. I just watched it. Um, I believe it was called Love Means Zero. It's the, the Nick Bolateri story. So if, if coaches don't know Nick Boletari, he's one of the, you know, considered one of the best tennis instructors of all time. He coached Andre Agassi, Jim Currier, Monica Seles, Maria Sharapova, Anna Kornikova, like all these names went through the Bulletary Academy. But you watch him for five minutes and you're like, that guy's a nut. You know, he, he's just, he's crazy. He's egocentric, blah, 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 blah. And then you listen to him in this documentary and he confirms it. He's like, yeah, I'm building a business. I'm building an empire. I'm building visibility. I'm building tennis players this is the way that I did it. I don't look back.
2: Mm.
1: Now think about it. If you are somebody who's just gung ho, I'm going for it a thousand percent. I don't give a shit about what other people think. You're going to bullet you know, instantaneously. Yeah. So, you know, you got to remember, right. You can try and be lovey dovey in relationship, but if that's not your essence and you can't deliver that day in and day out, the market's going to brand you as a prick and your story is not going to align and so nobody's going to want to sign mm-hmm. up. You know, and if we go to what most fitness facilities need, tribal mentality, right? You want 150 clients because that's going to be what the best community looks like. Say so Yeah, right, totally, you know. So so I'm reading or sorry, so if I'm a gym owner, I'm looking for 150 clients and perhaps I have 50,000 people to to pull from. You know, like I got a lot of people in my city to pull from it's a small percentage of people. So if you can't get nice and tight on the type of client you want, yeah. nobody will want to come in because you don't have a personality. You know, people are signing up for micro gyms, not because of the equipment, not because of any of that stuff. They're signing up because they like the environment.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: You know, so you better have some sort of story and some sort of style that you're selling because that's part of the equation.
0: It's uh, the reason why I'm smiling for myself is it's so funny because 150 is like the actual members, the better members this guy has as
1: well. (laughs) He's like, "What's about 150. It's it's perfect.
2: Makes total
0: sense.
1: And you hear, you hear gym owners right now. You hear gym owners talking right now. It's like, there's almost always two buckets. I often hear 80. Where gym owners really struggle to stay over 80 and then the next bucket is about 170 and 170 makes sense because when you start getting over 150 you can't maintain as tight of a community
2: yeah
1: you know it's like that's not your fault right so once you go over 150 the environment has to change Mm -hmm. which is very uncomfortable for some gym owners i haven't investigated
0: this and even though i've done a lot of reading in human behavior and development but i would say even like even if someone is like that 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 facility isn't for me but i'd say nearly almost most people's you know back of their minds we will we all have some element of respect that at least the person is authentic you know even if the environment isn't what i want i think nearly all of us appreciate honesty and truth in someone and someone just yeah being honest and authentic like even if you're like yeah, I know that guy is like, you know, he's real, like, you know, extroverted and loud and egotistical, but at least he's honest. Isaac, yeah, I am. That's who I am. And I, 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 I appreciate that essence about me.
2: It's kind
0: well, of, it's kind of, sorry, you know, just one real quick thing. James was on the Uncharted uh, podcast that he goes, uh, he goes, I have this thing about uh, always wanting to be right. And the guy starts laughing and he goes, And I don't have anything wrong with that. He's like, I actually like that about myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Yeah, it's just an interesting point to think about. Um, you know if, if we if we think about creating an asset and we think about storytelling what is the ultimate segue that creates an asset it's taking your individual story and turning it into your business's story
0: which is our next question right now so jim go ahead with storytelling and fitness and uh, business.
1: well i mean storytelling certainly started way before business you know s- stories have been in play forever whether you know you go back to the book sapiens i mean s- numerous books talk about the importance of storytelling just to the growth of the human culture. Right. You know, so it's like one of the reasons why we've been able to just grow in population and other animals haven't is because we can get into tribes, we can tell stories, we can um, have gossip, honestly, for that matter, you know? And so that's something that's a powerful part of why the you know, sapiens have grown in numbers for so many thousands of years. Um, the interesting thing is that over the last, let's call it, I don't know, 25, 50 years, probably storytelling has started to get really important in business because especially over the last man, five or 10 years with the growth of the internet, people can investigate companies like they never used to be able to. Mm. So if I want to understand what Nike's really like. I'm not just buying a pair of Nikes. I'm gonna search throughout the internet. I'm gonna to talk to people on LinkedIn and on Facebook. I'm gonna really try and understand the culture inside of that company because a lot of people are now buying products based on the story and based on the culture. You know, if you think about it, something like Tom Shoes is a great example of a company that started out with a great story and they've turned it into a very large company. And for those of you who don't know Tom Shoes, Basically, the initial premise was for every pair of shoes you buy, they will donate a pair of shoes. And I believe it was to Africa. I apologize if I'm wrong. You know, but that was the concept. That was the business model, right? So people were buying shoes that otherwise would have cost 12 bucks, you know, you know, to buy somewhere. They were paying 40, 50 bucks for a pair of shoes, but they felt amazing about the story that they were going to help somebody in need. Mm. That was a brilliant business play, and I'm not downplaying how important it was socially either. I'm just saying, let's talk about it from a business context. That's the entire platform that Tom Shoes built their business on. Yeah. So there's this big thing called, you know, social corporate responsibility. There's this big thing, you know, um, conscious capitalism. You know, there's all these books and ideas out there talking about how you know, you must connect at an emotional level with your audience. And I'm not saying that you have to create a charitable platform. That's just one of the examples that companies have done very effectively. But when you think about storytelling, you always have to think through, well, what is my own story? And then what is the story that connects to the audience that I want to work with? So, for example, we talk to gym owners often, and I, one of my first questions almost always is, who's your best client? And I'll just take an example that somebody recently talked about. Um, This is one of our OPEX gyms. He said, well, one of my best clients is um, he's 44 years old. He's got two kids. I'm like, cool. What does he want? You know, like, what what does he want to do? Well, he wants to be fit. Why does he want to be fit? Well, he wants to be fit so he can play with his kids so that he can feel athletic. It's like, ooh, that's interesting. Why does he want to feel athletic? Well, he was a football player in high school. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. So. Uh, so is he hurting and all of a sudden the gym owner goes well he struggles to get up off the ground because his body is beat up from playing football mm-hmm. it's like oh that's interesting you know and now you, you can start to put together how you're going to connect some things to this guy you're not start you're not talking about a 43 year old person 43 year old male two younger kids Played football in high school. Can't get up the up off of the ground because his body hurts so badly. Wants to play with his kids. Wants to see them grow up. Wants to feel athletic again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Imagine the difference in you know version number two versus forty-three year old person, which is what so often people are talking about. Oh, I want to you know forty to sixty year old are my clients. It's like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. You know, so we work through you know for you know five or ten minutes with this guy. And we got them down very specifically to, what are the challenges that that client has? Well, A, B, C, one, two, three. How would you plan for him to fix those challenges? You know, X, Y, Z, whatever. And then a storytelling would say, you have to connect to the person, i.e., who are you speaking to first and foremost. You then have to connect to the challenges that they're having. And what most storytelling books would talk about is that those challenges really are based on imbalance. So a challenge may not be a bad thing. It just might be an imbalance. Mm -hmm. So this football player feels the imbalance that he can't play with his kids. He feels that. That's emotional to him. He wants to fix that challenge. So what he's looking for is the guide or the plan for him to fix that challenge that he's having. That's what you, as the gym owner, would come in. You're not talking about your service. You're talking about the ideas and the things that maybe would take some inflammation down, that maybe would build back up strength where he needs, that might do a little mobility, that might get his lifestyle in order so that he could kind of calm the system down a little bit. That's what you're starting to talk about, and you're connecting it to the challenges that he's having.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, what you probably are going to realize is that, that that client is going to recognize that they will probably do something else that's easier first, right? Like, oh, I'm just gonna do this six week fad diet and six week challenge, right? Well, you can play that into play because you know that that shit's not gonna actually help them in the long run. And then what you do is you start to connect to, yes, this is harder, but here's what you get on the backside. And when you connect to the work that equals the ability to overcome a challenge, And then you connect them to what their life will look like on the outside or excuse me, after they've done that, that's the entire story arc, right? And the idea of the story arc is to connect somebody to the entire vision of what they'll go through so that they can end up on the other side in a better place.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, so right now that football, you know, that former football player is the underdog in the story. He wants to be the underdog right now, but in the end, he wants to be the hero. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to connect to how that football player can be the hero. The framework of it is absolutely no different. If you have a 27 year old single woman who wants to advance her career, that's 40 pounds overweight. Da 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 da. You know what I mean? The framework holds. The idea here is that your story has to connect to why you coach, why you want to help people what you do to help those people, and I, I'm talking about your coaches as well, and then immediately you have to go into the stories of those clients because that's the audience that you're trying to attract. If you're trying to attract 27-year-old women only, and I'm saying you don't want males, you better not talk about football. You know what I mean? You better not show how you, if you're a male you know, coach, are doing football training just on
0: that then Jim though what if wh- what if you are a person that wants to cater you know and again you're the, you know you're the expert here so you can answer this because you, you hear many different sort of ideas on this but what if you are someone who wants to cater to both of those and then how how would you so like there's this forty year old ex-footballer but then there's this 27 year old like seats color ceo female and she's unhappy with how she looks because she's so stressed for her job how could you tell a story that like connects with both of those at the same time, or can you, or should you just niche? So based on kind of asking, should you niche here and limit yourself? Or, you know, can you kind of have more of a general niche? You know, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think um, that's slightly different than storytelling. So without a doubt, you can create a business that can serve those two types of people. To me, that would go back to those five M's. So meaning, market, model, management, money, right? If those are all aligned to be able to work with those people effectively, sure what i'm saying though is that when you start getting down into how you're going to connect to that type of person when they're in front of you uh not even when they're in front of you but before they even know who you are right so let's would
0: would that would would that not be a message you're putting out to the market would that that be like would that be not like a niche sort of message then
1: yeah but what i'm getting at is that let's say let's go to an opex gym right that's the probably the most realistic here can I, work with a, yeah, can I work with a male and a female of different ages with different goals? Yeah, I definitely can. But what I will tell you is that you as the coach and owner will have the most success when you choose the lane that you want to coach the most effectively.
0: Okay. So, so you, know, you
1: know, so for example, let's, let's take a bigger dichotomy. CrossFit athlete, weight loss. Okay, if I'm talking to both of those two different things in one bucket – and and let's say I'm in the weight loss bucket. I'm somebody who wants to lose weight, okay? Mm. And I see 50% of your messages talking about training CrossFit athletes in the gym. Yeah, That equals, not all the time, but that often will equal intimidation. So the question becomes, who do you want more? If you want the weight loss person more, then you better put up 80% of your conversation about weight loss ideas or that style of client.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yes, you could theoretically work with both audiences, but I will tell you that from a marketing standpoint, if you don't understand, if you can effectively bring in one audience, why would you be trying to speak to multiple?
0: Yeah, very good point. That's a, that's a sound bite right
1: there. Yeah, Now, and I'm telling you, it doesn't mean that if you go after weight loss clients, that you won't have somebody coming in wanting to build strength, right? And then what you'll find out is that it's the underlying emotional connection, right? Which maybe what you build as your brand, i.e. what other people talk to their friends about you being, is you're the supportive coach. Mm. You're the person who supports the entire long-term journey for a client. Yes, that absolutely starts to be part of your story. Do you feel like you're unsupported from your coach? Do you feel like you don't have time to discuss all of your challenges with your coach because you're in a model that doesn't allow a consultation on a monthly basis? That becomes the story that's being told at the company level. The specific client stories might still be niche, 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 whatever you want to call it. I mean,
0: potato, potato.
1: Yeah. Right. You know, so if you're talking to that niche audience, You're still trying to acquire those types of clients, which I'm telling you, remember, you want 150 clients. Hmm. If you can't connect to an audience, right, that has 150 people, how niche are you? Now, here's the problem is that so, you know, often people try to go after the quote unquote athlete. Very often, if you're really getting down to the definition of athlete, you're not actually getting those people in the gym.
0: You're not getting 150 out of money, anyway.
1: No, you're not. So that's why a lot of these sport only models haven't worked mm-hmm. because there's not enough of those people who can pay you enough money to keep your gym going.
0: Yeah. I know that myself from Mike Boyd's transition. like over 50% now of their revenue comes from adult fitness.
1: It has to, it has to, right? Like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, coaches have to remember it's like, if you're going to go after that audience, it's going to be small. So if you don't ever want to coach a fitness enthusiast, you shouldn't own a gym. Mm. Now, unless you want it to be a smaller subset, if you're really, really, really good, and if you can make enough money per client, maybe you have 50 athletes in your gym, but to have 150 athletes at all times in one local gym, I haven't seen it yet.
0: Mm. I don't think it will later. Yeah, I don't either. Jim, that was fantastic. It's just one or two small uh, or small, fast, quick finishing up type questions, but that was great. So we covered uh, an asset versus liability uh, business setup. We covered truth and uh, authenticity there and we covered storytelling and fitness. So that was great.
1: Short Real quick. Let me, let me say one thing to, to kind of tie it all together. Yeah, of course. If, have a really really good story that connects to the market and they can understand what it means and they feel an emotional connection to it that creates a better valuation for your business at the end of the day great because it makes your brand stronger
0: absolutely brilliant i mean i think that's what i I definitely want to talk to you about in a future episode is like you know how can uh business owners go about attaining feedback and you utilizing that to make their business better going forward, you know. So I've often heard you say things like, you know, and I've often read this in other areas too. Like when when a client leaves, they're the best people to get feedback from, like because then you find out, well, you were late, or the toilets aren't clean, or maybe it's just no, I'm actually just moving country. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, so it's a, it's an opportunity to grow, basically. Um, reading, you are a man for books. So the last two books you were reading when I spoke to you was Storyno- Storynomics. Storynomics. And yep. building a what was it building a, building a story, story brand. brand yeah building a story brand and story nomics so what what were those two books
1: like? Uh, they they were really good. I mean, it's just uh, it's a continuing investigation on brand building and understanding how we can have a global you know recognized brand that we still believe in.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so we we often limit ourselves here. You know, OPEX in general because we want to stay very true to what we are. Um, so we're really trying to make sure that we can stay nice and authentic with our message and still grow the brand, you know, to really support the coaches and the gyms that we have.
2: Mm. Um,
1: so those were two really good books on kind of that connection and stories outside and inside of business. So they were really good. Um, you know, reading one called trust agents right now, you know, finishing up sapiens. Um, and then I think one that I really want to dig into is, um, um, my wife told me about an interesting book that Henry Kissinger wrote about China. And so I'm curious to read that because I think that, you know, China continues to emerge as a huge power player in the world. And I think that it's a, uh, it's a fascinating story. I'd like to kind of dig into that history and where they are, you know, where they are now um, just because I think there's a lot to learn.
0: Such a fascinating country in terms of like, it says it's communist, communist, but really it is. It's capitalist. It's like, well, what's going on there? I like, well, it's like, and it's like everyone who needs money is like, China, we got some money.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, um, you know, they, they just play the game differently than we do. And it's like, you probably will never actually know if somebody's right or wrong. It's yeah. just a different game that, you know, we play versus China versus Russia versus the UK versus, you know, everybody else. So I, I just am fascinated by trying to learn about the system and how it interacts with itself. And, you know, you, you can't understand the system without digging into China. That's for sure.
0: Speaking of Henry Kissinger, it's funny you mentioned because I just recently watched the the Vietnam Vietnam documentary, Ken Burns' Vietnam documentary. Unreal. His documentaries are just like yeah, that that is mastery right there. Like almost like it's new. It's near the upper end of twenty hours, and it's just like that. You can just tell that man puts his heart and soul into every piece yeah. of work he puts out. It's just unbelievable. But it obviously, there's a big part with Kissinger and Nixon and the whole everything Vietnam Watergate, the whole thing. It's great. History. You should look it up, people. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask, because just listening to your interview on the My Muscle Project with the two boys, they asked you if you could invite someone to dinner, who would it be? And you said Jeff, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. And then I was kind of thinking, that show came out in April. And I was like, you know, he's read principles from Dalio since that. So my question to you was, if you had to choose between Dalio and uh, Bezos, who would you choose?
1: Oh, man. Um... That,
0: that was the question I I was going to ask you.
1: Boy, I'll tell you what, I would love to sit down with Dalio. I, th- I think it'd be great. I think that he's got so much um, to teach just in conversation. You know, I don't even think he would think he was teaching and I'd be, you know, yeah. n- not tangibly writing down notes, but just trying to, to take it all in. Mm. But if I'm being honest, I think I'd still sit down with Bezos because I think that, um, you know, I think that what they're doing is the next 50 years.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So I I really want to try to understand, you know, what they're doing over at Blue Origin, what they're doing inside of Amazon, what they're doing with some of the companies that are not public yet. I think that would be fascinating. And um, I'm also very interested in how they're playing Prime. And so I think that Prime is a really interesting idea where it's very possible that they're just trying to make a huge play to make their cost structure so low um that they can take everybody else out like imagine amazon selling cheaper than costco for not having to need you know economy you know size you know amounts of product where the costco model says that they make their profit on their memberships well prime is certainly starting to make a hell of a lot of money for amazon and it's you know, it's possible that they're gonna to try to make their profit on Prime and then use all of the other money coming in from all these other channels to just keep growing Amazon to this behemoth point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because I think it's gonna be very difficult. And you know, at some point the government's gonna look at it, but it's very difficult to break up an internet company like that that it's it's difficult to even understand what all they have their hands in. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like you can't you can't break up Amazon the website per se, can you?
0: God, Teddy Roosevelt would have went out of his mind,
1: you know? <laughs> so I, I just think it's, um, I, would, I would love to sit down with Bezos and, and get a real understanding of, you know, okay, Jeff, in 10 years, what's Amazon going to be doing? Because think about how long 10 years is in the, um, in the age that we're in right now with machine learning and everything that's, that's happening.
0: It was funny too that you were saying a story you heard from uh, Jeff Bezos about we need more knee pads and someone goes, no, we just get tables. It's just like the early early years of Amazon.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, shoot, to go back to our conversation today though, Bezos knew what in the late eighties or whatever, Bezos knew what Amazon could be. Yeah. You know, Netflix, Reed Hastings, he knew what, he knew what it could be. You know, so if, if you know what the thing is, So like, why wasn't it named DVD in a box, Mm. you know, like it was named Netflix because they knew that once the technology was good enough, that's the platform they were going to build. Such a good name, isn't it? Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. You know, and same thing, you know, Amazon, remember, uh, initially they, they didn't know the name for Amazon. So that kind of was iterated on, right. But they got to Amazon just because of the river, you know, um, the connotation of the river and everything. It's It's just super interesting yeah yeah, we'll yeah finally, he knew look, without doubt that it wasn't only going to be books yeah but, but books were the most universal thing that held value da da, da 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 so he built the brand off of the best way of buying books and then just blew it up after that I
0: love it, yeah. it's funny too ever since you mentioned that and i, I knew about daddy's book but ever since we spoke about it i see it everywhere maybe because i'm all in book shops. man i couldn't get over the size of the thing it's like
1: yeah it's chunky yeah, it's a good one though it's good yeah
0: definitely jim listen this was absolutely fantastic really appreciate it and i definitely all the audience got a a lot out of that i'd imagine because i know even i did even if someone doesn't own a business i still love learning about business because i mean there's universal principles that apply across multiple fields when you're when you're studying any topic so appreciate you making the time i know you're a busy dude and it's early over there so um just for all the listeners and viewers and the audience in general make sure you subscribe to us on our youtube channel and that you're also subscribed to us on the podcast player of your choice jim anything you want to finish up on for the listeners or viewers or
1: i'm good that was great i appreciate it Robbie. Yeah. keep doing what you're doing man
0: thanks brother all right everyone see you soon take care peace